Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino series. On this episode, we talk with the author of Sweet Child of Mine, Deanna Adler. Her son is the celebrated drummer for one of the greatest rock and roll bands on the planet, Guns N' Roses. During it all, the original drummer Steven Adler stole hearts and headlines with his insane antics. He was also crippled by a tragic heroin addiction that led him to being kicked out of the band that he helped find. At the center of the chaos was his mother, Deanna, who was a gun Guns N' Roses proclaimed first fan of the group and was there since the beginning back in 1983. She's witnessed all of this but never told her story until this book. It's quite a story she had to get out and it's cathartic for her. She talks about her unconditional love for her son and the many stories that went into making this book. Enjoy. All right, let's do it. Okay, cool. Deanna, thank you for reaching out to me. I really appreciate you giving me the chance to get into to, to the book and to the story. Thank you for letting me do this. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's a pleasure talking with you. Pleasure oh. talking with you. Let's start at the top here. When did the book come out? I uh, had it published about five years ago. I want to promote it because I think it's important that parents note that they're not alone. That's what the oh. gist of the book is. Don't, don't be ashamed. Be free to tell everybody what your story is. I think everybody has a story in them. And uh, I just want people to know that it's not easy and, you know, we all make mistakes. Let's go, let's go to the beginning of the story here. And let's talk about the road to getting this book published. What was, what was, I mean, I know there's obvious reasons why you probably wanted to do this, but talk to me a little bit about the process when you thought, I really want to get this story out and this is how I'm going to do it. This, that's a funny thing because I really never thought about publishing a book. But through the years when he started uh, with Guns N' Roses, uh, let's see, 1989, something like that. Oh, no, no, ni- 1986, I think it was, something like that. I can't even remember anymore. So many things have happened. Um, yeah. I, just, I just was right every time something terrible would happen and something good would happen, I would write it down on a piece of paper. And through the years, I kept these papers in a box in my home. I just threw them in the box. Somebody would say to me, boy, you should write a book what's going on in your life. And I said, no, no, it's not important. But after a while, I said it is important for people to know what's really going on. See, the thing is, Everybody in every family has someone that's a drug addict or an alcoholic. Nobody's exempt. Okay, sister, brother, mother, father, aunt, uncle, even your parents. But maybe a half a dozen, maybe a ten people know about it. Well, in my case, 50 million people knew about my son. And that's not easy to carry. And... Uh, where I worked as a waitress. I worked as a waitress in California at a deli for 16 years. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to talk about it. Um, people would say to me, how's your son doing? Oh, how exciting. He's in Guns N' Roses. I said, yeah, it's very exciting. I would lie about everything. Well, when was the last time you talked to him? And I said, oh, just the other day he called me while he was on tour. Another lie. Well, when is he going to come visit you? Oh, pretty soon. As soon as he gets off the road, he's going to come visit me. 
another lie. When he signed up to be in Guns N' Roses, that was the end. You know, I just, uh, we never hardly, ever, we hardly ever saw him. It was very hard for us. But we lied. The whole family lied. But, you know, when I wrote this book, Larry Spagnola, he was the one that put it all together for me. After he put it all together for me, then I wasn't ashamed anymore. And when the book was published, I couldn't hide anymore. I couldn't lie anymore. I couldn't uh, deny anything anymore. So when the book was published, I was happy. I said, okay, no more lying. No more uh, feeling bad about everything. Just just be yourself and, and admit what's going on in your life. And which I did. I just um, I just couldn't lie anymore about everything. So everybody has secrets, and my secret was that my son was a drug addict and alcoholic. And then when the book was published, I had no more secrets. In fact, it was funny because when the book was published, Stephen said to me, "All right, Ma, it's published." You said what you wanted to say. Now throw it in the fireplace and forget about it and get on with your life. And that's what I did. And I've been trying to um, tell people that they're not alone, that they shouldn't be ashamed. And, um, you know, just trying to do the best that I can. And good for you. And I, and, and I would think in a, in a lot of therapeutic, in a therapeutic way, Getting it out there is the big thing. It seems like this book was a big catharsis for you to just have that chance to move on and to heal. It was very cathartic for me. It really was. And today, if anybody asks me, how's my son doing? I'll tell him. I said, he's doing, and, and this is the truth. He's doing fine. He's performing again. He has his own band, uh, Adler's Appetite, and he's traveling now, and he's doing fine. But for, what, 30 years I suffered like this to have a son that was a drug addict and not knowing what to do and, and, and just, seeing, just seeing everything happening before your eyes. To go over your son's house and the blinds are drawn and the lights are off and, you know, and he doesn't answer the door and you think he's dead. It's sick. It's just, it's just the most terrible feeling. You know, one time I went over to his house. He was in his room, of course. He was stoned, of course. And I went into the kitchen. I went over his house to bring him some groceries, to make him something to eat because I know he wasn't eating. And so I went in the kitchen. And what's in the kitchen? There's a man in the kitchen. There's a man in the kitchen, a strange man, and there's a great big scale on the kitchen table. And there... And the man was measuring out marijuana and put it into bags. Or I thought it was marijuana. Maybe it was something else. I don't know. So I immediately immediately left the house. I got scared. It's a hard thing to, to deal with a son or a daughter that you love very much. And they're on drugs. It's very hard. But you know what? I have to take responsibility for what happened with Stephen. I'm not going to blame him completely. I blame myself, too, because of the way, you know, he comes from a divorced home and a single mother. And, you know, the funny thing is, Joe, I 
I never drank, and I never smoked, never did drugs. I'm what they call a typical Jewish mother. For my son to be like this was very, very hard. But I'm, I'm taking responsibility for what happened. But obviously for Stephen, music was a refuge. And I'm curious, you know, how did all that begin for him? How did this love of music begin? And how did you cultivate that love in him? Well, when he was about two years old, he would sit down on the kitchen floor with the Tupperware and wooden spoon. And, was, and he would pound the Tupperware with a wooden spoon. And he just sat there. I never thought he was a musician. I never thought he was going to be into music, nothing like that. He did this on his own. He wanted to do this, and he did it, on, like I said, he did it on his own. And um, when he was 12 years old, excuse me, when he was 13 years old, he had his bar mitzvah. And um, after his bar mitzvah, I remember standing in the hallway, and he said to me, he says, Ma, I want to go live with Grandma. So you have to read the whole story. My mother, she should rest in peace, was an ignorant woman. I was married to um, an Italian guy, and I got pregnant, and I had my first son, Kenny. And when he was three years old, I was pregnant with Stephen. And I wanted to get divorced at that time. I didn't want to live with my husband at that time. So I went to see my mother. Meanwhile, my mother didn't talk to me for five years after I got married. So I went to visit my mother, and she says, well, I'll help you, but you've got to give me the baby. Now, what mother says that to a child? You're going to help me, but I have to give you the baby? That's how ignorant my mother was. And so here I am. I'm so naive. I don't know which, which way to turn. I have no money. So I left my husband, and I lived in a $50 a month basement apartment that smelled from uh, water, you know, from mildew. And I gave my mother the baby. And that was my biggest, one of my biggest mistakes. But I would see him every day. I would drive over to her house. I wouldn't drive. I didn't have a car. I would take a bus over to her house every day and spend a few hours there. You know what, Joe? You've got to read the book. It's, it's nuts already, you know, the life that I've lived. You've just got to read the book and understand me, know that I, I did the best I can. I, or I did the best I could with, with the knowledge that I had. That's all. There were good times. Listen, when he was in Guns N' Roses, there were good times and there were bad times. Every Like I said, I worked as a waitress, and every Thursday when he was in Guns N' Roses, they all lived in the same uh, apartment in Hollywood. They were all sharing an apartment. And every Thursday when I was off, I would go to Smart and Final, which is a discount um, grocery store. I would go over there and get cigarettes and all kinds of food and toiletries, and bring bring it over to where they were living. Because I wanted to make sure that they had their cigarettes, that they brushed their teeth, you know, uh, that they ate. So I would do that. And uh, But after they got big, they didn't want to know me anymore. You know, I was shut out you know, when they had money. 
Well, like I said, if you read the book, you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know the turnaround time was, was quick on this, and I really do want to do it. But when did you realize, you know, seeing it from a whole completely different perspective than the rest of the world, you know, we see this as one of the biggest rock and roll bands of all time. But when did you know that not only they were getting big, but that your son was changing and things were starting to move in a different direction? Well, after they were signed, of course, that was, um, they started to tour and we didn't see him anymore. It slowly but surely changed. He didn't, I'll give you an example. He would call me sometimes when he was on the road. Occasionally he would call me and he says, I'm over here, I'm over there, I'm in Europe, I'm in, you know, wherever he is, he would call and he would say, oh, I'm having such a good time, everything is good. I said, oh, God. I said, I'm so happy for you. But after a while, the phone calls became less and less. And, well, we didn't know why he wasn't calling us. Well, it was because he was involved with drugs. And when you're involved with drugs, you don't want to know anybody. You know, listen to this story. Listen to this story. He came to California. They were on tour, and they went. They were going to play with the Rolling Stones at the Coliseum in Los Angeles. And so they were going to play, I guess, for three days, but they wound up playing for five days. So every day, he would send a limousine to pick us up, okay? He wanted to show everybody that he's doing good, he's successful. So he, he would send a limousine to the house every night for five nights. And the limousine, the driver would take us to the Coliseum and we would go backstage. I would take my family with me. Another day of lying. Oh, everything is fine, Stephen. Oh, we love him so much. He talks to us all the time. But in reality, he didn't talk to us all the time. But when he came to Los Angeles, we went to the, like I say, he picked us up. We went to the Coliseum. Five nights in a row, I took family and friends to the Coliseum. And everybody was so happy and so excited. They were seeing the Rolling Stones. They were seeing Guns and Roses. And I ne in five days of going there, I never once saw them. Never. I sat backstage with Axel's mother. And we sat and talked the whole, you know, the whole evening. And then afterwards, when the, the gig was over, I thought to myself, well, Stephen will come and talk with us. But we never saw him once. As soon as his gig was over, he would go back into the dressing room or wherever it was, a trailer, whatever it was, and they would do drugs. So we never saw him the five nights that we went down there, never. And I don't know if Axel's mother saw him. I have no idea. Well, you know, the one thing I think about, and, and you know, and I do a lot of music interviews, and I think for, for those guys and for people that are as big as the Stones and bands that big, when you see that many people and have that much of an, an, an adrenaline rush on that big of a frequency, what that would have to do to you, whether or not you have a history or things happen in your life, but that sheer magnitude of that, and we saw that, we've seen that throughout the history of rock, 
How do you think that played on all of those guys? I mean, do you think that was a part of they were trying to kind of deal with that adrenaline that they would have to go up and down through while they deal with that fame? You know, when they say sex, drugs, and rock and roll, they mean that. And when somebody gets too much money and too much fame, fame too fast, it affects them. It didn't affect me except to make me feel bad for I felt bad for all of them, you know, but too much too soon is no good too. And people, you know, the thing is, these musicians, now don't get me wrong, I don't feel that every musician is on drugs. It's not true. But in this particular case, they got too much too soon, too fast, and what's next? Where's the sex and drugs? And that's how it is in that world. Uh, just, um, yeah, I can't even explain how horrible it was. And, and, I, and I guess I think a part of this is, is your relationship much better now with Stephen, now that the book's been out and he's doing his own thing? Oh, yes. Everything is fine now. He, he's healthy. He looks good. If you Google him, you'll see where he's traveling, where he's performing with his band, Adler's Appetite. I mean, it's an altogether different... When, when a child is on drugs, you have no control over them. They don't know what they're doing. All I could do, Joe, was just be there for him. Whenever he would call me, like sometimes he wouldn't call me for a year. Sometimes he wouldn't call me for two years. But as soon as he called, I would be there for him. There was nothing I could do for him. I nagged him. I said, Stephen, you've got to go into rehab. You've got to take care of yourself. A mother or a father, anybody, a drug addict's not going to listen to you. The more you tell them what to do, the more they're going to be uh, angry with you and the more they're going to stay away from you. And it took me so long to learn that. You don't know how many millions of dollars Stephen has spent on going into rehab. You know, when you go into a rehab, uh, they want the money up front, 25000 uh, 35000 50000 whatever they want. You pay them before you walk into that place. And how many times does Stephen go into a rehab and walk out? And that money is down the tubes. You don't get that back. He would go, and the reason he went into the rehab was because I would say something or somebody else would say something, you got to go into rehab. He didn't want to go into rehab. You know what he told me one time? He said, he says, Ma, I could go into a million rehabs, but I'm not going to, and the moment I get out of that rehab, I'm going to go first thing to the drug dealer because I, somebody else is telling me what to do. I'm not, I'm not ready to, to stop drugs. And it's true. Millions of dollars down the tube because everybody was telling him to go into rehab. One time he went to into rehab someplace in North Hollywood, I'm not sure, but he walked in and then I somebody dropped him off, I'm not sure who it was, and he walked in and paid the money you paid the money before. He walked out. When the person left dropped him off. They took a cab back to his to his home to the and the first thing he did was go to the drug dealer. It was, it was nuts. It was just nuts. Well, you know, the one thing that you had mentioned in your email to me that stuck out out of everything is the unconditional love that you've had for him. And I think about 
the, the, the entire story that I know of. And I think that has to be probably one of the shining parts of this whole story is that you never gave up and that you have a new relationship with him. And do you ever sit back and think, as much as you see, you think that maybe his issues were a part of him growing up, but maybe the reality is life is a journey and your unconditional love helped to heal him. Well, I'll tell you, I love him with all my heart. And whenever he would call me, or to this day, if he, whenever he called me, I'm right there for him. That's a mother's love, okay? I never gave up on him. I just want the best for him. That's it. You know, and, but you know what? People don't understand. They go, to, they go to a concert and they see these guys on stage, these rock stars on stage, and they think that they're gods. Oh, my God, they're screaming and carrying on. And they think these guys are the most wonderful guys in the world. Well, what happens when the concert is over and the guys walk off the stage? Where do they go? What do they do? People don't realize that they have families, that they have parents, that, that maybe they have children. They just see them as gods, and, and it, goes, it goes into the musicians' heads. These people are screaming and, cry, and crying over them. But what really happens when they get off the stage and go behind closed doors? Nobody knows that, and nobody cares. But the mothers and the fathers, they care. They worry about these, these guys performing. And um, like I said, you know what? When he was on when he was on heroin, everybody was trying. When he this is after he was out of the band. Okay, they threw him out of the band. You know how I found out that he wasn't in the band anymore? How's that? I found out we were watching the MTV Awards show, and uh, and then all of a sudden Axel comes on stage and he says to millions and millions of people Stephen is not in the band anymore we threw him out of the band because he's on drugs and he's a heroin addict and I'm sitting in my living room with my youngest son and my husband and we don't know nothing because he hasn't talked to us in so long I got up from my chair I couldn't believe what I was hearing I got up from my chair and I walked outside, and I walked around the block, and then I came back in the house. And my husband says, where did you go? I says, I just walked around the block. I says, you know what? I can't go to work tomorrow. And he says, why can't you go to work tomorrow? He says, I said, because everybody will know that my son's a drug addict and that I've been lying. And you know what he said to me? He said, Deanna. He says, you're going to go to work tomorrow and everybody's going to, every, nobody's going to say one word to you about Stephen. Not one word. And you're going to go to work and it will, it's going to be all right. So I went to work the next day. And you know what? Not one person said anything to me about Stephen. Not one person. And from that day on, nobody asked me how he was or what he was doing. Not a word, because they didn't want to hurt me. They didn't want to make me feel bad. So, so, so they have their own problems too, I guess. I don't know. I, I think probably a part of that is is that, you know, 
you're a separate entity from your son to a certain degree. And I think about that when, when like, just what I've heard you explain right now. There's this misconception, I think, with people that think, well, you know, if their kids make it big, then they're funneling all this money back to their family and all of that. I mean, isn't there kind of a myth that goes into relatives and parents of people that make it big in entertainment and music? Listen, listen, Joe. Stephen is the kindest, most generous man you would ever want to meet. Even though he didn't talk to us a lot of times, he was always very, very good and very generous to us. When my son, my youngest son, Jamie, when he graduated from high school, uh, Stephen, and we, we told Stephen, we uh, called him up and said that uh, Jamie was going to be uh, graduated from high school and we would like him to come to the graduation. You know what? He came to the graduation, but he was stoned. He was out of his mind. He came to Jamie's graduation. And again, we pretended he was okay. But we knew he was on drugs at that time. And we knew when he came to the graduation, he was on drugs. But we pretended everything was all right. So he came to the graduation. And again, people didn't care that he was on drugs. They were just so happy to see a rock star at the graduation ceremonies, okay? They were so happy. But we knew that he was on drugs. He handled himself pretty good, but we knew. And um, when Jamie graduated, the next day he came over the house, or a couple of days later, he came over the house and he took Jamie. He said, I want to take Jamie shopping for a graduation present. We said, okay. You know, he, was, he seemed okay. You know what? He bought him a brand new car, a wow. brand new Chevy. He drives home, comes home, back home. Jamie comes back home with this great big sports car. And we couldn't believe it. You know, just one tire. I can't read. What is the sports car that Chevy used to make? Chevy, um, I can't even think of what it was. I've, I've blocked so many things out of my mind. But he came home with a brand new car. And the tires on the car, if you want to replace the tires, was $500 a tire. That's what kind of sports car this was. Wow. And, you know, he was very good to us, you know. He bought us um, a, home in, uh, a, a home in Las Vegas, a second home we had. He was g- generous to a fault, so good to us. And, you know, and we never asked him for anything. He would just do these things, and we appreciated it, you know. He's a good guy. To this day, he's a good guy, it's, he helps me uh, financially to this day. You know, sometimes you feel guilty. At least I did. But I don't anymore. I don't anymore. Because I know I, I'm there for him. If he needs me for something, I'm there. And, and thank God, Joe, he never has to work a day in his life. Never. Because he gets residuals from um, royalties from Guns and Roses. A lot of these musicians, when they sign up with a band and they make they make what do they call it a one 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 song wonder one hit wonder yeah they never make any money. You see all these musicians that are working regular jobs, nine to five jobs. But Stephen was very lucky because he had good management and he had um, 
He had a good contract. You know, he stopped, he, he sued Guns N' Roses, you know that. Did you yeah, know that? yeah. I heard that, yeah. And, and so he sued them. They were taking everything away from him. So he, he was smart enough to get a lawyer, and he sued them, and he got, he got his royalties, and he, he doesn't have to, to worry anymore. You know, sometimes you have to sue somebody to get what, what you deserve, what you're entitled to. And he did that. He had brains to do that. So he was lucky. Yeah. So what would be your message to parents, mothers that are living through what you live through? They have somebody that's either famous or on the cusp that's in an uncontrollable situation like Stephen was. What would your advice be as they live through that? Well, first of all, they have to know that there's nothing that they could do for them. And they should help themselves. Just be there for your son or daughter or whoever it is. Just be there. Don't try to tell them to go to a rehab. Don't try to tell them to do this or do that. Just be there for your child. That's it. And, and try to help yourself. Try to get on with your life. You know, my daughter-in-law, Carolina, Stephen's wife, she used to say to me, go to an Al-Anon meeting. And I said, no, I don't want to hear anybody else's problems. I got my own problems. I don't want to go. And she would say, it would do you good. You'll feel better if you go to an Al-Anon meeting. And so finally, after months and months and months, I went to an Al-Anon meeting. And you know what, Joe? When I walked out of that meeting, I felt so much better because I realized that people have it so much worse than me. There were women and men in there whose children were, were in jail, in prison. They, were, they hung themselves. They shot themselves. The stories that I heard, you couldn't believe it. Just be there for them. That's all you could do. Just be there. Just read my story and see and see that you're not alone, that there are many, many people out there that are in the same predicament you are in, the same problem. Some are worse, some are less. But everybody has their cross to bear. And I can't tell you how much better I feel that I told my story, that I'm not ashamed anymore. I just, I just can't explain it, how much better that I, better I feel. Sure, I take responsibility for what happened because he comes from a divorced home. I got divorced from my first husband, his father. And you know, his father never saw them again. Kenny and Stephen, they never saw him again. One time I said to Stephen, he was on the road, and this was when he first started with Guns N' Roses. And I, I said, he told me, he said, Ma, we're going to play in Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm going to go see my father. I'm going to look him up. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. That would be good. You know, I never said one bad word about their father. Never. And uh, he said, I'm going to look up my father. And I said, all right, that's good. And so when he came back, he, he called me and he said, I said to him, I said, did you look up your father? He says, no, what for? What's the sense? He doesn't want to see me, so what do I want to see him for? So he never looked him up. So since the, uh, uh, he was born, he's never seen his father. Come on, things. 
A lot of things happened. His, my, my mother, his grandmother, raised him until he was two and a half years old. And then I took him back. And the reason I took him back was because I wanted him to go to nursery school. Well, when you go to nursery school, you've got to live with your parents. You know, my mother didn't have any um, paperwork on him. He, just, he, he was just staying there. So I was able to take him back. But it was hard. Here he is, the first two and a half years of his life, living with his grandma. And now all of a sudden he's living with his mother and his brother. I mean, there's so many difficult things that happen with him. And that's why he's like he is. That's why. You know? But he's a good guy. Can I tell you a good story? Please. Can I, I want to tell you a good story. The best Mother's Day I ever had. And uh, it was after he was out of Guns N' Roses, and he was still on drugs. He was still on drugs. But he, he called me up, and he says, Ma, he says, I don't want to live in Los Angeles anymore. Um, I want to come live where you are, and which is I live in Las Vegas. And I said, all right. So he came to live in Las Vegas. That's another story. But I want to tell you about the best Mother's Day I ever had. So my oldest son, Kenny, calls me up. He said, Ma, we're going to take you out for Mother's Day for dinner. I said, that sounds great. I said, I'll look forward to it. So a few days later, my son, Kenny, my son, Stephen, my son, Jamie, and my grandson, Max. Max is a young man. He must be in his 20s now at that time. So they come and pick me up, and they bring me a beautiful little rosebud corsage to wear for dinner. So I said, oh, I'm so excited. Where are we going to go for dinner? And they said, it's a surprise. It's a surprise. I said, okay. So we get in the car, and I picture this. We have, we're in a to, um, Toyota Camry, four doors. I'm in the back seat in the middle. My one, seat, well, my one son is on my left. My other son is on my right. My oldest son is driving. And my grandson is in the passenger seat. So we take off. And we're driving. And I said, where are we going? What are we doing? Where are we going? I'm so excited. It's a surprise. So we drive a little further. And then all of a sudden, we hop onto the freeway. Now, I'm in Las Vegas. When you stop on the freeway, you're going toward the desert. So I said, where are we going? I want to know where we're going. He says, they say it's a surprise. And we're driving, we're driving, we're driving like for a half hour. And I, I said, I want to know where we're going. Where are we going? It's a surprise, Ma. It's a surprise. So we drive for a few more minutes. And all of a sudden, my son in the front says to the son in the back, you got the shovel? And the one in the back says, it's in the trunk. And I says, what is going on here? I want to know where we're going. Let me out of the car. And I got scared. I said, let me out of the car. Uh-huh. I want to know where we're going. And they said, surprise. And we're driving for a few more minutes. I said, I want to get out of the car. Let me out of the car. I don't want to be with you. Let me out of the car. And all of a sudden, I look up. I look outside. And there's a big sign. Mother's Day dinner cruises at Lake Mead. <laughs> they were taking me to a dinner huh. cruise at Lake Mead, which is like 40 minutes away from where I live. And, I, and they said, 
here's the surprise, Ma. I thought they were going to kill me and throw me in the desert. <laughs> what, one thing I learned, don't ever get in the car with four guys. I don't care who they are. Don't ever get in the car with four guys. And that was the best <laughs> Mother's Day I ever had. Wow, that's wonderful. That's when a great said, story. When he said, you got the shovel, it's in the trunk. Like, like, it, was, <laughs> like it was so funny. I'll never forget that. Wow. Yeah, that was the best Mother's Day. There were a lot of good times with Stephen, and there still are a lot, a lot of good times, you know. And, yeah. Uh, hopefully those days are, are over with. But you want to know something? Once a drug addict, they say always a drug addict. So you take each day and do the best that you can, take one day at a time, and pray that the next day will be as good as the day before. That's it. What yeah. did I hear? What did I hear? Some some guy, uh, Stephen Tyler, he went back into a rehab? I don't know. I heard something like that. On, it was on the news that he relapsed and that went back into a rehab. I don't know. Here's a man that's married, has children, grown children. You don't know anymore. You know, you, you just got to be there for him, like I say, and just take each day and do the best that you can. And that's it. Well, I think that story and that thought right there is a triumphant way to wrap everything up. So I am, I, I'm urging everybody, as you have, to get the book, Sweet Child of Mine. And I thank you for opening up. And I'm really looking forward to presenting this to my audience. Where and how is the best way for folks to pick up this book and to find anything out, any other news that, you know, as far as, Stephen's career and what's going on? Well, you could find the book. You could buy the book at any book outlet or, or go on to Amazon. And in regard to Stephen, just Google him. You see he's on the road. He's doing good. He's proud of him. I, I love my son very much. I, even though all the crap that I've gone through, he's still my son. And I love him. You know, that's it. Be there. Be there for them. That's it. So, but no, you could buy the book any place, any outlet, any book outlet. All over the world you could buy it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know Amazon over, overnights the book. I, I don't know. Any place you could find it. I hope people do buy it because learn from my mistakes. Read my story and learn from my mistakes. Don't be like me. You know, don't be... Ashamed. Don't don't be afraid to tell anybody that your son is on drugs. Do you know how many uh, friends of my children that have died from drug overdoses? Hang. I was I was at a meeting one night, and this lady came in to, and she started talking to me, and she said, "I just wanted to say hello to you and tell you that I understand what you're going through." She says, "My son hung himself in the bathroom." from a drug, from, you know, from his a drug overdose, you know. He hung himself. I've heard these stories all through the years. I had, you know, I had a book signing a few weeks ago. And um, this one young lady came up to me, and she started to cry. I said, what's the matter? You know, and I gave her a hug. And she says, my mother knows exactly what you're, what you went through because my mother lost two sons 
to drugs. Two sons. And then she says, I'm the only one left in the family. I, so I, I didn't want her to buy the book. I gave her the book. I signed, I signed the book and I gave it to her. I said, please, give this to your mom and tell her I said hello. And she started crying more. I didn't know what to do. It, 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 and it happens all the time. People are afraid to tell anyone that, about their story. People are afraid to share. Well, once they read this book, maybe they'll, they'll share their thoughts and tell people what's really going on in their lives. That's why I want people to buy the book. To know Absolutely. Yeah, and, and this took a lot of courage. I'm so glad that this, there's a silver lining to, to your story. Deanna, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for sharing the story. And I hope that people go out and buy the book. And, and it's cathartic for them as well. So thank you again, Deanna. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, John. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, and music around the globe. If you want more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. You can see these on the Neon Jazz YouTube channel. And for everything Joe Domino-related, go to JoeDomino.com. And when you're there, you can keep this going by contributing via PayPal or Patreon. Until next time. Yeah.